So does your career energize you with life or does it drain you? Recent Gallup polls show that a whopping 70% of us feel disengaged in the workplace. There's just gotta be a better way. Welcome to our authentic careers where it is my job to uncover the ideas and strategies that can help you become better aligned with your career. I'm your host, Gert Sabar, and I interview people like you and me about the twists and turns in their career paths so that we can all achieve greater clarity, meaning, and fulfillment in ours. So you can call this week's guest by many names. Author, media trainer, blogger, crisis communicator, food writer, and journalist. Those are and have been Tom Barrett's job titles throughout the years. But no matter which of these you call him, underneath it all, the thing about Tom is that he has always been the most human of human storytellers. And to hear just how far back he has expressed himself this way as a storyteller, that alone, I think, is reason enough to listen and dig into his fascinating career journey. But what also stood out to me about Tom's story was the particular moment in time, one that many of us Uh, come across early on in our careers when someone we implicitly trust to guide us, usually a parent or a school guidance counselor, or both, as was the case for Tom, says something to us about our career aspirations that goes like this. You've got to be more practical than that. Talk about a bubble-bursting moment. The reality is that moment represents one of those critical junctures in our lives where all too many of us fold where so many of us begin to detour away from our authentic selves and by default, from our authentic careers. Luckily for Tom, though he admittedly didn't know it at the time, he was already so well aware of the power of storytelling in his life that no call to practicality, however well-intentioned it may have been, was going to meaningfully sway him off his path. So without further ado, I give you Tom Barrett. All right, so let's um, so so why don't we jump in? First of all, thank you, thank you for um for agreeing to take the time to uh, to share your story. Sure. I, I'm going to start off with you, actually, a little bit different than I have with with some of the others. I want to ask you first: Do you ever think about the concept of purpose or mission, or even you know the question, you know, why am I on this planet? I think I have thought more about that over time, probably not earlier in my career, but as I started to identify what my core skills really were and and how they could help clients and associates, it became more clear to me that my ability to talk to people and listen to people and help them understand how to articulate their story was my purpose, and, yeah. that, and that I had seen that consistently in lots of different places in my life. I started out writing stories when I was young. I started writing stories about people I knew when I was young, and over time, I began to see a very clear thread of this focus on the world around me and the people around me and how they tell their story and how I can help them articulate that story. So in many different facets of what I do, it is always about having an intense curiosity about what that story is and then helping the other person draw it out and express it in a, in a, in a compelling way. I love it. At what point in your career do you think, or life or career, do you think you, you recognize that about yourself? It's actually been more recently than you might think. Yeah. Um, probably in the last several years, 
when I worked in the crisis area, there was always a time factor involved of, of getting information out in a quick and efficient and timely manner, resolving a situation in an efficient and timely manner, um, getting information out that would help balance the situation. And I think in many cases, that time factor, that sense of urgency, probably took precedence over what was really happening, which was, how do we get a story out there? How do we connect with the people we need to connect with so they understand what we're trying to do and how we're trying to address a certain kind of situation? Yep. I think the urgency overshadowed what was really happening, which was the story. The story was key for that audience to feel more comfortable about whatever the situation was and what the company was doing about it. Yep. When I was able to step back from the crisis mode and the urgency, suddenly I saw the story in a different light. Yeah. And I realized that the story was really what was connecting people. It wasn't the movement and the urgency and the, the urgency of the moment. Yeah. And when, and when did you connect that that was your particular strength or your particular interest or your particular, you know, your, your, this kind of skill that you bring to the world? When, 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 did you, when, when did you that aha moment go off in your head of like, oh, wow, this is what I'm here to do? Yeah. Well, I had always been a writer from the time I was a little kid. I would write yeah. stories down. I still have copies of things that I wrote when I was a kid by hand. You know, and I, I, I like to say that when I was in sixth grade, I published my first novel. It was five handwritten pages, self-published. <laughs> awesome. and, but but that, was, that was the mode I was always in. This, my, my parents had given me a, an, a record album of, of Grimm's fairy tales when I was a kid. So I, I always heard stories and loved getting immersed in stories and then started to write them down myself. But over the course of time, I realized I needed to practice writing. And so I think it was in the last 10 years as I really tried to develop my skills as a writer separate from my day-to-day job that I really began to focus on what I could do about that story and, and the elements that I could bring to the table when it came to storytelling. I had always been a writer, but I think I really refined my perspective on how to tell a story and what made, made a good story over the past 10 years as I've been doing my own writing as yep. well as my regular job. So now let me, ask it, let me ask you this now from a different angle. Are you today in your career where you thought you would be when you were younger? Probably not. Orig- you know, originally, I, I thought I wanted to be a journalist, and it probably had to do more with the excitement and immediacy of television. Yep. I think I utilize quite a lot of the same skills that a journalist would use. So as I do media training and presentation training, I am focused on delivery, I'm focused on content and all of those things. Yeah. But I, didn't, I don't think I expect to be, expected to be in exactly this place, but somehow I think I ended up in the, uni- the right universe. Yeah, yeah. Can, you, can we walk back a little bit? When, when is the um, first time you can remember wanting to be a journalist? Oh, probably junior high. Okay. Junior high, because that's, that's where I saw the, the application of some of these stories, of, of telling stories. Yeah. That's where I saw the ability to take something that had happened and share it with somebody else. And I started watching news programs and sort of immersing myself in magazines. And I, I, I collected newspaper clippings and I was following stories of different events that were taking place. Yep. And I think that was the moment in time where I sort of connected this idea of storytelling and events and people together in a, in a medium 
that could actually achieve all of those things. Yeah, got it. Uh, so you, so junior high, you identify this this interest. Walk me through a little bit. What what happens next? High school and then college. How do you what what what, are, what happens next? Now that you've established for yourself that this thing called journalism is something you uh, that's really of interest to you. I dived right into the school paper in high school. Yep, and very rapidly became the co-editor-in-chief of the high school paper probably a year or so before that normally happens. Usually that was a job for a senior. And I, as I recall, I, I got it in my junior year. Yeah. <laughs> so I was really very intently involved in that and, and working with other teams of young people who were writing stories about what was going on at school. Yeah. We were generating, I think the newspaper had gone from a monthly to almost a weekly by the time I was running it because we were finding so much content in our, in our little world to talk about and write about that we were able to generate this, this newspaper on a weekly basis. I was determining what stories should be done and working with a, a team of editors to find a, a collection of stories. And we started to divide it into categories. There was a sports editor. We even had a food editor, which was one of my early loves as well. Right. <laughs> and, you know, really tried to reflect all aspects of life and, and really generated a, a ton of content. It was, it was a very... Um, prolific period of time in, in terms of writing. That's amazing. And then I took, that, I took that on to college as well and got involved in the, the newspaper there right away on the radio station as well. But on the newspaper, I really enjoyed the... It, it was, a, it was a, uh, a twice monthly, more of a, a newspaper of analysis. So I, I began to cultivate my editorial voice a bit more. Yeah. And my ability to talk from a unique perspective versus simply just r reporting information. So that's where I started to hear what my inner thoughts were sounding like as they translated onto paper and began to really, really cultivate that quite a bit in college through the, what, what we called the paper, in quotes. Yeah. <laughs> that was the name of the, uh, of the publication. Let me um, pause you for a second. Where did you go to college? I went to Fordham University in the Bronx. Okay, and what uh, did you end up studying there? I started out in a communications program, mass communications, but two years into my college career, I got a job at WPIX News as a production assistant. Yep. And I found that the communications programs were very much focused on the tactical aspects of generating communications. And I felt that I was learning all of that on my on my job, which was three three or four nights a week, depending on the week, and so I actually switched to an English literature degree. And for the remainder of my college career, I immersed myself in the stories of Shakespeare and Henry James and Nathaniel yeah. Hawthorne, and really, really studied storytelling from the masters, as you would say. Yep, that's amazing. And the decision making process to uh, switch to an English major was that that was a pretty conscious decision in terms of just wanting to deepen your storytelling. It absolutely was. It was, it was a decision that said, I wanted to add something different to that perspective. I could master the skills of mass communications. I knew that because I was doing it every night at WPIX. Yeah. But was there another perspective I could bring to the table? And what I loved about things like Shakespeare was Shakespeare helped you understand the human experience. 
uh, every Shakespeare play, every every play is focused on some sort of human dynamic or human emotion of some kind. So I was taking the very real world of journalism and taking the fictional world, so to speak, that reflected the human world and trying to bring the two together. Fantastic. What um, Can I ask, what, what did your um, parents do? My dad was an engineer and my mom was a homemaker. So uh, they... Uh, my mom, my mom supported us in all those ways of getting us to, to and from school to work on the newspaper and do all of those things. And she also read to us from the time we were very young. So from a very early age, she loved reading to us, and we loved listening to those stories. So I think there was a lot of conditioning happening there as well. Now, that was going to be my next question. Um, and what, how, what role did they play in just kind of your decision-making process through... Uh, middle school, through high school, through college? Because you seem, unlike uh, I think a lot of people, it, it sounds to me like you had a very purposeful college experience. Yes. It was interesting. I remember a conversation with my high school guidance counselor and my parents were in the room. And my dad, being an engineer, was very practical. And I said I wanted to write. And both the guidance counselor and my dad said, well, you have to be more practical than that. You have to take right. something that will get you a job. Right. And it wasn't that he was against the idea. He was just a very practical person. Yeah. I think from, from the emotional perspective, my mom would certainly read the things I wrote and were, was very supportive of those things. But I don't think they lived in a world where they understood where writing exactly could be a career. It yeah. was somewhat new to them. Um, the science and, science and engineering, one of my brothers is a, is a microbiologist and another one is an accountant. Those were yep. very tangible things. So it's over the course of my career as they've looked at the, the interest in writing, the passion for writing, the passion for storytelling, and how it starts to play out in different things they can see in the news. Yeah. And things like writing a book about the, the world of food on Long Island where I live, that's where it started to become much more tangible as to how these things all work together into a career. So this is super interesting because what I'm hearing from you, and you're being very diplomatic about it, is that um, they were very practical, which means that they were not necessarily sending you the, you know, Tom, keep going message. <laughs> well, I think they were. I think they were always supportive of what I was doing. Yeah. But I think they may have not been, not been entirely sure what that end game was going to look like. So, that, so that's good. So they, so they weren't necessarily stopping you. No, no, not at all. Not at all. They, they, supported what I did, but I'm not sure they always saw what that destination was going to look like as clearly. I'm not sure I did either, Yeah. but I had more of a sense of what that destination was. But, but there were things that happened along the way. I mean, my mom, as, as I said, she, she read to us constantly. Um, she got me to sign up, when I was in elementary school, got me to sign up for a drama course on weekends. And that was certainly another form of expression and storytelling sure. that she took me to every Saturday. So she was very much in identifying those kinds of activities that seemed to resonate with, with the kinds of skills that I had. You said that you had more of a sense of what that destination could be. How, how did you have that? Where did that come from? I wanted to write detective novels. I, uh -huh. I had been a, an avid reader of Agatha Christie when I was in high school, and it was right at the point where, just before Agatha Christie passed away, and she was getting quite a lot of attention for releasing 
some books that she had put in a vault for years. But I thought these characters of Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple were absolutely fascinating. And I wanted to write detective novels. I did find over time that I didn't quite have the the calculating brain to layer a complex puzzle together. <laughs> right. But I could reflect certain aspects of relationships and um, people with particular types of mission and things like that. So I started to focus on real people and yep. how could I help express their stories. So th- there may be a novel still in the works, but what I found was very often what was most successful for me was writing from my own perspective. What was I seeing and experiencing? And that if I could be the eyes and the ears of the world for certain types of situations. I look at a lot of the blogs that people have written over the years, and so many of them seem to be about, about the individual. I'm very much the observer in the blog story. I'm, I'm there explaining what I'm seeing, so hopefully somebody else can experience it in the same way. Yeah. The story's usually not about me. It's usually about somebody else and how I saw what they were doing and what they were thinking. Um, fascinating. How, how early did you have that sense of you know, wanting to write the detective novels? Kind of Whatever that was that gave you that sense of destination. Yeah, I guess I was in in junior high moving into ninth grade, and I actually wrote detective stories that we serialized in the school newspaper. I wrote a 12-part series called Murder at the Sussex Tavern, and oddly enough, it was about a woman journalist named Mrs. Victoria Fox who solved crimes along with writing stories. So she was an early form of an investigative reporter. And um, I wrote a number of stories about that character and probably at some point when I was 15 and older thought that this would be the character I would write about for a career in some way. Yeah. Uh, but again, it, it, it is a complicated process to yeah. write a detective novel. I'm in awe of authors like Sue Grafton and you, you get immersed in the book and you, you read all of the, the complicated twists and in the end there's just this, such a feeling of satisfaction at the resolution, but you, 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 you just marvel at how you got there. And either that's something I still have to work on or it's not my forte. <laughs> right. But, but it's something I've always admired and continue to admire. So you're in college, you're now taking these serious literature classes um, to deepen your storytelling. What happens next? Well, then you do have to go out in the world to get a practical job. <laughs> right. And <laughs> fortunately, I was already at WPIX-TV, and I was able to continue on after college as a production assistant and, and then eventually as a news writer. Now, news writing and TV is really about being quick and concise. It's not necessarily about exposition. So it wasn't necessarily that satisfying for me to be able to take a, a, a lot of information from various sources and condense it down into a 30-second reader. But what happened was there was an opportunity that came up to join a public relations agency and work on the 1984 Olympic torch relay from New York to Los Angeles. And to begin to research the stories of the runners who were carrying the torch one kilometer at a time across the country. And I started to dive into these real people stories again. And there were, there was, um, the, uh, granddaughter of Jesse, Jesse Thorpe was carrying, uh, one, one kilometer of the torch. Yep. 
there was a runner from 1912. He had actually participated in the 1912 Olympics, and he was in his early 90s. And he was carrying a a torch for a kilometer. So I got again immersed in these individual stories, and my job became finding the stories in each market across the country that were the most compelling stories of the collective group of people that were carrying the torch from New York to Los Angeles. That's a, that sounds like an amazing job, specifically for what it is you were, you were doing. Yeah, it, or it, interested it, in I, doing. I met so many interesting people along the way, and every, every story was different. And it really, it really reflected the diversity of the United States, the diversity of the, the people involved in the project, and what that, what, what that meant for the Olympics. So you're in this PR firm, uh, you're doing this, you have this experience, where does it go from there? How does that, how does that then begin to uh, evolve your, your career? You know, I think I started to work on a couple of issues-oriented assignments. And if you think about that interest in detectives, somehow the aspect of problem-solving began to take shape in those issues assignments. How do we take a situation and potentially resolve a problem in some way? So, you know, there's a certain strategy to being a detective and, and thinking through and rationalizing all of the things that are happening and what they mean. And I think that's where I started to apply those kinds of skills. They always required good, concise writing, good, clear writing, because you had to get a clear story across. But the problem-solving element was what started to converge there as well. Yeah. And so I think, I think all of these threads came together at different points. And have you been at PR firms ever since? Yes. I started at the age of 23, so it's been more than 30 years. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, on, on a scale of 0 to 10, where 0 is a total non-issue, and 10 is a big, dark, gloomy shadow. How large a shadow would you say financial considerations have had over your career path to date? Well, I would put it on the more towards the zero end um, because I I was always fascinated by the, the window on the world that I have. I mean, what I love about my job is that I meet so many different kinds of people and I'm exposed to so many different kinds of stories. And it's kind of amazing that people are paying me to do that. Right. <laughs> I, last week, I worked with a group of archaeologists, and I have the ability to work with scientists and marketers and people who understand technology and are changing technology. So many things that affect our world. And to have that sort of front row seats into what's really going on in society in so many different ways, I could have worked in public relations on one account and with a with a single client and there are people who do that extremely well right but i think the diversity of subject matter has kept me so interested that that's what what for me is the payoff it's that ability to experience so many different things and so many different stories and and actually be paid for it yep how uh t- tom tell us what what is it that you do right now I head up our communications training and media training team. So I am preparing people to tell their stories through media interviews and through live presentations. And then I work with individual clients and groups of clients to help them spend some time thinking about what their story is and really mapping out what that story is. So developing the story, 
practicing the story and then bringing the story to a variety of audiences. Um, again, as you say that, I have shivers going down my back because I feel like it's uh, such a great match to who you are at your core. I'm never bored. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, and, and you can tell me I'm going to get on three planes this week, which I am. And that, that is a little daunting. But when I think about what's going to happen on the other end of each of those planes, I'm going to come away with lots of different experiences, lots of new people and new perspectives that I hadn't connected with before. And they're just adding to that total story. So, Tom, you have also been a big food writer. Uh, you've had your own blog, and you've now just recently published uh, a book. Why did you, that part, right, that part that needed to do that, to write the blog, to write the book, that part was not getting fulfilled necessarily by your career. Correct. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's the place where there are, are, are personal interests that you have that are expressed in certain ways, and there are professional interests, and hopefully they're all aligned in some way. Yeah. I always loved food uh, from the time I was a kid up Parallel to the time I was getting immersed in detective novels, I was also learning how to cook. My mom had four boys, and she taught us all how to take care of ourselves. Yep. And I found the combination of flavors and, and, and the, 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 what, you, what you created out of that very, very satisfying. And if I were going to write about anything, that seemed to be a natural fit, that, that there were stories to be told, not, not about the food, but about the people involved in the process. There are lots of people who write recipe blogs, but I wanted to write something different that really talked about how people were connected to food. Because when you take the people away, the food is just organic matter. Right. It just sits there. So there has to be a person at the heart of that story. So I think it became a vehicle for me to tell more stories about people using something that I, I, that I really love. Yep. And it grew to become telling stories about people in my own community. The, the big benefit for me with the book was I meet people who live in my community and are defining our food community in so many different ways. And so it just became another way to look through that lens of how people relate in the world, how, why they do what they do. And food is sort of the unifying factor, but the stories are all about people and their passion for what they do. Can you tell us a little bit about the book that you just published? It is a, a look at the history of food of Long Island and where certain traditions came from and how they're being reinterpreted today. I didn't want to write a straight historical piece because I didn't think it would be that interesting to people. But what I wanted to find was where was the past influencing the present and the future. So when I look at the history of farming on Long Island, and Long Island has a significant farming history, this was looking at this and saying, well, what, how does this inform what happens today? So for example, one of, our, one of the stories is about a place called Restoration Farm, which is a farm where I'm a member and I take a share in what is produced. Yep. That was an original family farm on Long Island. It was established in the 1600s. And up until about the late 60s, it was still operating as a family farm. And the county stepped in and wanted to use that land for productive purposes. So they contracted with a couple who are farmers to turn it into community-sponsored agriculture. So what they are now doing is creating the family farm of the future. It's still a family farm, 
but it's feeding 150 families who are buying a share in that work. Yep. And they've really redefined what that farm is all about for the future of Long Island and how we eat. And hopefully all of the stories have that kind of parallel. What happened in the past? Where, we, where are we retaining some of our traditions? But how are, we, how are we making them new and different for the society that we are today? Fantastic. Um, why have you not... Given, given that interest, right, given the interest in food and food writing, is there a part of you that would want to make that a bigger part of your career? It's, it's a passion, and it's, um, it's certainly a vocation in so many ways. I think it is a part of my career, yep. and, and it's hard to separate the two Yep. because I take much of what I've learned in those experiences, and I certainly apply it to food clients that we have, and I apply these ideas of human stories to other clients who are not in the food arena. Yep. So I think they all work in concert together. I've, I've never separated one or the other and said, well, I'm only going to do exclusively this. Yep. What, I, what I really love is that this all seems to work together into, in, into a total package. It's sort of like all of the ingredients, if I were to use a food analogy, of this fantastic dish. Love it. Um, what would you say has been the highlight of your career so far? It's tough because every part of this is so different, but I, I think having had a chance to have conversations with people I never would have met otherwise, to really become a trusted counselor to people and partner with them to tell their stories and then see the results of their stories. I love when I've worked with a client and I then see them go on TV and they just tell that story so beautifully and it's yep. from the heart and it has all of the right elements that make for a good story. And we, we got to that point together. And so for me, the payoff is really seeing what, what people can do and hearing good stories because that's what we share. How many times do you say, you know, I heard something great on TV today, or somebody told me this fantastic story today. Right. That's, that's the currency that we share with each other as, as, a, as a society. And so to be a part of that is really the highlights. And there are certainly many events along the way that I have found, found fascinating, moments yep. in time, um, different kinds of situations. But I think it is that ability to share in this, this common storytelling and this, the, the excitement that the people have for what they do. That's what really continues to inspire me along the way. Yeah. Thinking back throughout your life and career so far, what kind of, um, if you think about it, um, your friends, your colleagues, family, what kind of counsel uh, or advice or uh, services, for lack of a better word, have people consistently come up to you for? They, they like, they seem to like the fact that I'm a good listener, that, that yeah. I listen to them and can hear what they're saying and provide an assessment back to them. I, I, we, we do a lot of those personality tests in our yep. industry. And I remember many years ago taking one of those tests and I was sort of the introvert, introvert on one side of the room and everybody else on the other side of the room were the extra, extroverts. Yep. And, but, I, but I'm the one listening to everything that they're saying and processing it and thinking about what it means. And I think, I think that's what they appreciate. I think people do come to me for advice and for a perspective. 
because they know I'll listen and weigh the information. And I've got some, um, some parameters through the work that I do that can help them make decisions and, and think about how they might do something differently. That's right. And also seems to be, uh, seems like a skill you have that's also pretty critical for, uh, for storytelling. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's always a person at the heart of the story. And particularly in the corporate world, sometimes we let the story take the lead and we don't think about the person. So one of the things I'm, I'm really pushing now is that something about that individual has to come through. What, what motivates them? Why do they do the job that they do? Um, what excites them about the job? It's not just about the job. It's about their connection to the job. So anyone I work with, I'm really pushing for a personal connection to come, come through because that's the thing that's going to connect different audiences to that story. If it's just information, again, then it just sits there. But people connect to people. Yep. And part of my passion is making the person come out as the story is being told. I think that's why I write from the first person because that's, that's me coming out in my story. That's right. Um, of those people that, that have come to you for, uh, seeking counsel and advice uh, and, and your, um, your ear, what, is there, was there a thread in the type of counsel and advice that people have sought from you the most? I do find that we're, we're working more and more with senior executives. And, you know, oftentimes a senior executive is, is handed written information and said, here are our messages. This is the story. And I'm not sure they always know exactly what to do with that. Yeah. They look at it and, and they, they want to re reiterate that information and do it in a credible way. But we are very much in a society where the role of the CEO, the personal role, has to inform what that company does. So more often than not, it is about bringing the personal element of the story forward in what can often be... Um, just basic information about a company. How does that person, that senior executive, make it come alive in a way that shows they're interested in what the company does and they're passionate about what the company does? So connecting the emotional to the rational is very often what we're, what we're asked to do. Yeah. And what about from a non-work situation, uh, friends, colleague, uh, friends, family, any, any particular thread in the type of counselor advice that they seek from you? I get a lot of friends asking me to help them prepare for their personal job interviews. Yep. Uh, sometimes romantic advice, I try and stay away from that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's often how do they present themselves? Are they clearly articulating their personal story in some way? I have a friend of mine who runs a business where she helps people organize their lives, and she will always send me her written speeches that she's giving to small groups to see if the story is coming through clearly. Yeah. I keep saying to her, remember that example of when you cleaned out my closet? You have to tell them that because that's the thing that's going to relate you to them. That's right. That's right. Um, fantastic. So a couple more questions before we wrap up here. Are there any career decisions you made along the way that looking back today, you would choose to undo or somehow redo? No, I never, I never think back and say, I wish I'd done it differently. I think... Part of what I've always focused on is making the most of what you have and finding the opportunities that you can really maximize and take advantage of and, and, and then doing it. Yep. There was probably a point where the opportunity for the book came along that I might have thought I was too busy or 
didn't take it seriously and might have put it aside. But then I said to myself, wait a minute, this opportunity may not come along again. Right. No matter what, you've got to figure out how to do this. So it, it, it has been a matter of seeing the opportunity and not letting, not letting gravity take over and say, well, I'm too busy for that, that, That's that, right. that I can embrace a new situation and add it to my repertoire. Because if not, I don't think you're, you're growing and, and, and progressing. So it's always been about looking ahead and saying, well, how can I maximize what today is about and, yep. and use that to build what the future is going to be? That reminds me, the opportunity for the book, was that something that came to you or something that you pursued? Very interesting. It, you, you talk about the impact of social media. After having written a food blog for several years, that meant I had a pretty significant footprint in terms of writing that I'd done. So the publisher, who looks for local voices to tell stories, found me online and approached me and asked me if I'd be interested in writing a book right. based on my experiences, not necessarily exactly what I'd written in the blog, but based on my experiences and understanding of Long Island food. So um, it does help to do things that don't pay <laughs> right? Because, because they can often lead to something else. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, universe working in a gazillion different ways. That's right. So um, last question for you, Tom. Knowing what you know today uh, about your career, how would you advise your, your younger self? Keep your eyes open. Look at all of the opportunities. Look at all the plot twists. And don't, don't let a potential twist throw you off because somewhere in the end, it will all come together. Fantastic. Tom Barrett, thank you very much for your time. This was really eye-opening and really, really interesting. Thank you so much, Kerr. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Our Authentic Careers with me, your host, Gert Sabar. If you like what you just heard, I hope you'll let your family, friends, and colleagues know all about this little podcast. And since it's early days here at the OAC, your rating of the show on iTunes would also be hugely appreciated. If you think you or someone you know would be a good guest, please, 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 please don't hesitate to reach out at ourauthenticcareers.com.